News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. And joining me now is, whoa, is, uh, we still on? Oh, okay. Sorry, just everything went dark on me. Uh, no, my guest is gone. So not sure what not sure what all just happened there. Uh, but uh, welcome to the third hour of the program. We had John Warren. He is running for U.S. Senate, and uh, we'll try to get him back. But he's uh, not one of the candidates that everybody's talking about. He's not uh, he's not Ted Budd and uh, Mark Walker. Uh, and so nobody knows, like, did he get the endorsement of Donald Trump? He didn't. Ted Budd got it. But uh, also got the... Uh, uh, the all of the the flurry of of excitement about what is he going to announce on Thursday? N- not John Warren, uh, and then Pat McCrory. John Warren is he's a realtor. He's uh, from UNC Charlotte. He also uh, joined the. Okay, he went on and jo- went out and joined the army after he graduated from uh, UNC Charlotte. And so I think we have him now. Hello, John. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Pete, how's it going today? Hey, it's going well. It's going well. So I got to ask, first off, were you able to actually file the paperwork to run before all of the uh, primary election filing and everything got uh, upended? No, sir, I was not. That that period got shut off uh, pretty quickly. So uh, from what I'm following, it's going to open up back on uh, February 24th. And so I'll be going up to Raleigh at that point and uh, getting all my paperwork squared away. So I have to ask you, like, why? you? This is your first run, right, for an elected position. Why go for the U.S. Senate race, knowing that it's going to be a, this is going to be a tough fight for you to try to win. You realize that, right? Oh, absolutely. So I'm running. I get that asked, and I have no problem answering that question. The reason why I'm running is because from where I stand, no other candidate inspires me to believe that they will have the resolve to fight the Democrats. And so they go out on campaign, and that's great, and, and, and I wish them the best of luck. But obviously, I know where I stand on the issues. I know where I'm at. I know my resolve, and um, I'm going to be very tough on them. Absolutely. So I mentioned uh, you were uh, a grad from uh, UNC Charlotte. Are you from Charlotte? You're from North Carolina? You went to UNC and graduated before you went to the Army. Uh, so you're from yeah, Charlotte? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got roots here in North Carolina. My grandparents are from here. I went to... I graduated high school at uh, East Lincoln High School out in Lincoln County, so most definitely from around here. Went to UNCC, love the area, love Charlotte. I've always uh, loved the area, so now I'm currently in Union County, live out in the the Indian Trail area. If you're familiar, and mm-hmm. um, I just love it here. So I'm just ready to go to fight for going to bat for North Carolina citizens and and put them first. So I saw you tweeted, uh, and by the way, your website, the right Warren for Senate, the right Warren for Senate dot com is his website. You can learn more about John there. I saw that you tweeted out uh, that Donald Trump is all in on Ted Budd. Um, so because of the story that we uh, we saw in Politico the other day, Ted Budd got the endorsement, surprising like everybody in the field. Um, so I just because you call yourself uh, an America first candidate. So. I, I gotta, I gotta ask. Would you want Donald Trump's endorsement if he were to offer it to you? You know, you know, Pete. That's a good question. And from where I stand, uh, it doesn't matter which endorsements I get. Trump can endorse me. Any other candidate can endorse me. It, it doesn't matter. I'm going to run the race that I w- that I want to run, and that's where I stand on things. So, what does that look like? 
So far, so good. I filed early in January, so, you know, I'm starting to build momentum, and, um, yeah, things are going well. What, so when you said you want to run the race you want to uh, run, what does that what does that mean? What does that look like? What kind of a race? Are you doing the Jeff Jackson 100-county tour thing? Like, what, a, <laughs> what are you looking to do? Yeah, so I've reached out to a lot of folks. I'm going where I can get. Um, I guess the race that I'm trying to run is is I don't – Trump was great, right? So I voted for Trump in 2016. I voted for him in 2020. And if he decides to run in 2024, absolutely he's going to get my vote. But I am not loyal. I don't have a faulty loyal to Trump, right? And so there's a lot of folks out there that, you know, Trump can do no wrong, say no wrong, and and, and that's fine. And I, I disagree with that. I, I think there's some things I, I disagree with him on. Um, also, at the same time, I'm not a never-Trumper. And so there are some folks out there that are, you know, Trump was awful. There's nothing good he could do. And so they – and they – you know, they, they were Republicans. And so I'm not beholden to any group. And so I just want folks to know that I, I don't belong to any particular sect. I do consider myself a Republican. Um, I also would say that I have um, some very conservative fiscal views, right? So, uh, for example, President Bush, mm-hmm. he inherited $5 trillion in debt back in 2000 with a surplus. Well, he had two terms. President Obama had two terms as a Democrat, and then we had Trump again, or we had Trump for the first time. And now we have $30 trillion in debt, and we have a deficit. And so we have to decide which way we're going with, with, are we going to be fiscal conservatives or are we not? And so that's what a big focus of my campaign is to be very, very fiscally conservative. So, yeah, well, if you're if you're like the answer on that one's no. That's I learned that one a while ago too. That <laughs> I thought <laughs> I thought I thought the same thing cuz people paid lip service to fiscal conservatism, fiscal restraint, and then they got in power and they did not exhibit uh, any of those principles. So uh, no, I don't. I, I think I think the plan is yes to just keep spending us into oblivion. Uh, and honestly, I mean, it's I mean, you, surely you recognize uh, the uh, the lack of appeal that a person might have when going out and saying, "Hey, vote for me. Uh, I'm not going to give you." anything like from the public till right? <laughs> when someone else is offering to do exactly that no exactly so that you know i'm going to be honest so that, that and i'm going to be straightforward other camps will say what they got to say and, and that's fine but um i would most definitely start for me i would most definitely and people aren't going to like it when i say this but heavily reduce military spending it's ridiculous that we spend almost $1 trillion a year on our DOD, on our Defense Department. The next 10 uh, folks who spend money on their military don't compare to what add up to what we compare, and most of them are allies. And so that's just ridiculous to me. Also, again, this might be probably unpopular amongst a lot of conservatives. Ukraine, let's talk about a hot topic in Ukraine, right? Mm-hmm. We should have no blood or treasure spent in Ukraine. If Europe does not want to spend any of their money and soldiers' lives in defending Ukraine, the United States should absolutely not not even partake in that. So if, if Europe wants to take the lead, go for it. We'll, we'll, they'll have our support, you know, 
but we cannot be taking the lead on that. They really have to be. Right, but no money or troops. So what would support look like then? Support support would be encouraging Germany to uh, 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 maybe stop that pipeline to Russia so that way yeah. Russia says, hey, we're going to invade, and Germany, we need you to not do anything and, and, and keep and keep and not and not take our oil that germany would stand up to russia oh i don't know why i didn't think of this earlier aaron Rodgers for supreme court duh yes all right news talk 11 10 and 99 wbt john warren uh that's actually another name i've seen floated not john warren but elizabeth warren they say they're looking for a woman of color uh so elizabeth warren might play <coughs> No, I'm kidding. John Warren is running for U.S. Senate in North Carolina. His website is the right Warren for Senate.com. So am I off base here, John? Is that a reference to Elizabeth Warren? Absolutely, Pete. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I got I thought I got your sense of humor on that. So um you're running for US Senate. Um and uh, so are you doing a lot of like the fundraising stuff? You making the phone calls for the big deep pocketed donors like cuz I've always heard that's the worst part of any kind of uh, run for office. How how are you no, funding no. this campaign? You are you self-funding billionaire? What what's up? No, absolutely not a self-funding uh, billionaire. Pete, I, I earn a modest living. I live in a modest house. Uh, me and my wife do the best we can to raise our kids in a good school system and a good neighborhood. So fundraising right now is, is, is just pretty simple, just getting the word out there. And if people want to donate, hey, I would love their donation. You can go to the website there, like you just mentioned, and, uh, and donate. Yeah. So you're supposed to say the website. Your campaign manager gets very mad. Do you have a campaign manager? They get very mad if you don't use every opportunity to name the website. The right Warren for Senate.com. So uh, we already went. Uh, I was going to ask you about Ukraine. We covered that. You mentioned military spending as well. Uh, let's hit a couple of the uh, the big ones like filibuster, for example. Uh, are you in favor of scrapping the filibuster uh, or uh, changing it, quote unquote, reforming it in some way? No, I absolutely love the filibuster. The filibuster gives minority rights, the minority party rights. There's a lot of Americans that are in the minority, and it goes both ways, right? So you see what happened to Kristen Sinema, and, and she's out there, and you saw all the heat that Joe Manchin got for opposing the end of the filibuster. So I don't like ending the filibuster in any way, uh, and that's including Mitch McConnell uh, giving over power to increase the budget to Chuck Schumer. Um to have a 50 vote, a 50 vote threshold, I, I, I think that's absurd. So, most definitely not uh, keep the filibuster. Term limits. I I will tell you, I have gone in the course of my life. I've gone back and forth on this. I can I can see pros and cons to it. So, what do you think? Term limits, yay or nay? Would you vote? I should say this because after the contract with America and the Republicans said that they were going to do this, and then they just merely voted on it and didn't do it. Are you in favor of actually doing it or just? having a vote on it. No, I think any serious conservative should, and this is where people have to look at this, every serious conservative needs to say yes on this and 100% absolutely do term limits. Um, you have people like Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, even Mitch McConnell's been up there. And uh, unfortunately, I think they've spilt a lot of bad blood with each other. And so they don't want to get done stuff on purpose. They'd rather just be vengeful toward, towards each other and not look out for the best of the American people. And again, that's another part of why I'm running, right? So just like with weight loss, people have to go out there and, and choose which meal are you going to eat? Are you going to eat this? Are you going to eat that? 
Are you going to go for a walk? Are you going to call your buddy up, go to the gym? I'm sure you're familiar with this speed up. You've had some great success, and, and, and that's amazing. Sir. Uh, well, really thank is. you. I was going to say that you're giving me a segue to just do a whole Ph.D. weight loss live read right here. But I will re- I will refrain. I will refrain. So, yes, it is very similar. you got to make these decisions. But So what of the argument, though, that you've got um, the bureaucracy that becomes empowered if the leaders, the elected leadership, cycles off the boards off the oversight committees and stuff that you basically empower these these unelected bureaucrats yeah you know you know that that's a failure of leadership so these folks are in there and in there for a little bit they need to be mentoring folks underneath them to prepare them much better to take on the task of the role at hand and so um i look to the 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 leadership at that point to do a, a much better job of mentoring the young folks i mean you look at the average age of the of the senate and it's time to get some some fresh some fresh blood in there. And just speaking of um, ages, you know, fun fact for North Carolina: if elected, I would be the youngest senator elected to North Carolina or to the U.S. Senate from North Carolina since 1891. And so I'm very proud of that. And so, and again, that's another part of the reason why I'm running. Right? I want the primary is very important for conservatives and for voters. People need to be able to look out there, look at the menu of the candidates, just like with the, the menu with eating food. And you have to look at what is best for you. And so I may not be a, a juicy 20-ounce ribeye or anything like that. I'm probably going to be more like the salad. And so the salad is not so appetizing, but it is what we need at this time. It's probably the best choice for you. <laughs> so, wait a minute. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Do you have a campaign manager? Because right now they would be ripping their hair out. Uh, John Warren, not... A juicy ribeye. That's the slogan, right? John John Warren, the salad, <laughs> not a ribeye or something. <laughs> uh, so just in, in looking at your website and hearing you talk, it sounds to me like you are more of a, dare I call it, libertarian kind of a Republican. Uh, you lean more towards that. And maybe not capital L. I refer to myself as a lowercase l libertarian. That's what you kind of sound like to me. Am I off base on that? Would you describe yourself that way? You know, I most definitely am a Republican. I I, I am a Republican. I do have uh, uh, some libertarian some libertarian views. Absolutely, I think they kind of go back and forth. Some of mm-hmm. the ideas do. So, um, but I have decided, you know, a hundred percent with the Republican Party. I think the Libertarian Party can be a little too. Um, l- yes. I know it's yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so it can be. So the, the, <laughs> And so the Republicans, I, I, I like that it's much better. Um, they have the, gu- the guardrails. They want to use government. They need to use government. They need to keep society held together. So um, yeah. I, I appreciate what the Republican Party is and what it does. All right. So check him out at his website, therightwarrenforsenate.com. He's also got his Facebook page up and running as well. John Warren, thanks so much for your time, and good luck on the campaign trail. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Yeah. <laughs> not the ribeye the salad of candidates the salad of senate candidates john warren that's great uh let me jump over here this is another john who has called in hello john welcome to the program how are you hello hello I can barely hear you i can uh, barely hear you yeah okay what i was saying is you need to explain not everybody totally understands what a filibuster. Hello? 
Hello? Yeah, hello. You, you dropped out there, John. To, you so need you, to explain I, that. What is a filibuster to your radio audience? Do you know what the filibuster is? Nope. Okay, so um, this is essential. Well, what do you think it is? Because you might be right. I think you got to have so, so many votes uh, to get a bill passed, and they're trying to change that. Correct. You are correct. So filibuster just means you talk for a long period of time to prevent a vote from occurring. And in order to stop that from happening, you got to have 60 votes to stop that from happening in order to stop a filibuster. Right. So like in the olden days, you had to get up on the floor of the Senate and you had to start talking and you had to keep talking and keep talking. And as long as you talked, then you would hold the floor and they couldn't hold a vote. And they needed 60 votes then to get you to shut up. And if they couldn't get the votes, then you, you got to keep talking. So what has happened, though, is that they got a little bit lazy over the years. And they don't want to actually have to talk. <laughs> so they created this thing, what's called the legislative filibuster, where they all agree, like, all right, we're not going to talk. But it's basically the same thing. And you got to have 60 votes in order to move for cloture of the debate and go to a vote. So that's essentially it. And it's a 60 vote threshold. So like that's the now I would be open to the idea of making the filibuster as it was originally designed, where you got to actually speak. Like, I would be okay with doing it that way, and then we would actually hear some of these arguments. We would hear some of the debates. And some of them would be out, uh, would be ridiculous. Yes, <laughs> indeed they would. <laughs> Which, yes, Wait. and also I, I, I do admit that I would use some of the audio for show prep, and we would uh, make uh, lots of use of the rim shot as we played the audio. True enough. True enough. I appreciate the call, John. No, it's a fair point. The filibuster just basically is the way it right now it is utilized by the minority party in the U.S. Senate in order to force a 60 vote threshold. So the majority party has to deal with the minority party. And that's the way. And, and you know, look, it, it is one of the ways that it moderates legislation. For good or bad, I'm, you know, you can pick your example of why it was bad or good, but the, that's the there is a benefit there. There is a pro on that side of the ledger for all the cons. There's a pro there, which is it moderates the legislation. It forces cooperation. Sometimes that doesn't look very good. Right? What's the old joke about a camel is a was it a camel is a horse built by committee? Right? Like it, it just. Yeah, it, you get you get all these different people trying to get different things included, and it just it ends up being like weird. So, uh, and and not particularly useful. So pros and cons on all of this stuff. But the the original intention is to slow it down so things don't race through. And by the way, this was the fundamental uh, uh, belief of the founders was that you don't want to rush towards legislation. That's not good government at all. You, the House is where you have all of the passions, right, where uh, people are elected to two-year terms. They are more readily and easily um, accountable to be voted out, right? They're, you can hold your elected representative accountable. They're in smaller districts, and so you, you're more likely to know them and be able to influence that. And the two-year cycle means that people can come and go. 
and they can represent a particular zeitgeist, a particular attitude that may spring up or something like the Tea Party, for example. So they recognize that you have to have that chamber in order to represent those passions. But then you also, what was the old line that the Senate is the saucer that cools the house, the actions out of the house, right? It has to do with tea and the way they drank their tea. You'd pour it in the saucer and spread it out so it cools quickly. Whatever, doesn't matter. Point is that you got the Senate where they're supposed to be more deliberative, right? And you hear people kind of mock this, the most deliberate, you know, the world's foremost deliberative body. It's not anymore. They don't actually have debates. And it, it, it hacks me off. I want to hear those debates, and maybe I'm weird like that, but I think our society would actually be benefited by hearing debates, by hearing filibusters, by listening to these people talk, for good or bad. Because, especially in the House, people beat up on all of the uh, representatives and you know make all these jokes at their expense, rightfully so, I am guilty as charged as well, but uh, they really are our representatives, Right? You look around at America and people are like, oh, I can't believe these people in Congress. Really? Because I can. I can believe seeing these people behave the way they behave. I can I can believe it because I look around the society and that's the way our society behaves. They out they are our representatives. And they do a pretty good job of that <laughs> for for good and bad. So you don't you don't want the Senate to operate the same as the House. And in the House it's you know simple majority rules. And stuff gets passed out very, very quickly. Over in the Senate, it's supposed to slow down. Because you're supposed to be acting as a break on the the passions of the moment. So you get better legislation. Theoretically, I'm just, just theoretically, you get better legislation that way. Um, the problem is, uh, with, with the Senate now trying, and these Democrats trying to move away from that uh, from that process into a simple majority just because they're looking at the short-term gain. They want to ram through a bunch of stuff before they lose power. And so they're looking to blow up all of the rules, flip over the table so they could do so. And it doesn't matter to them the long-term ramifications of that. And that is that is an indication that they should not be trusted with power because you're willing to blow up these rules in order to get your way for one item right now. Now, the one item right now that they're trying to get, in this case, it was the election nationalization bill, um, that was designed to put them in power for, you know, for long term in perpetuity. So I understand that side of it as well. But the filibuster is mainly there to protect the minority's ability to slow down legislation that the majority is trying to ram through. A reminder, if you missed any of the program, get the podcast for free, WBT.com. And uh, Ryan works very hard to cut out all of the ads, so it's commercial-free. Three different podcasts get delivered right to your smartphone or tablet every single day, after each hour, basically. Each hour is its own podcast. It's free. You just go to WBT.com, and then you click follow, and then that's it, and it just comes right to your smartphone or tablet. You're welcome. Uh, All righty, so real quick, there was a piece by Mike Gonzalez at National Review, and it's in the wake of the ridiculous story that the uh, uh, NPR folks told about how uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor was, uh, you know, zooming into the oral arguments because Neil Gorsuch wouldn't wear a mask and all of that. And uh, he did point out, and this actually is kind of believable, that because NPR stood by their story, right, that that's that that was the story. 
Um, and Nina Totenberg, what this guy says at National Review, Mike Gonzalez says, uh, he's, he's probably in a minority, he says, but I, I think Sotomayor's staff probably leaked that to Nina Totenberg at NPR. And she ran with it. And then Justice Sotomayor probably threw her under the bus. Right? That's probably what happened, was it last week when all of that went down? I'm not going to get into the mechanics of it, but Gonzalez, he writes this piece called Fire Public Broadcasting. And look, full disclosure, I worked for the public radio station across town, first gig out of college and uh, into the, I was an intern mailing people coffee mugs and then uh, worked in the membership department. And I grew up listening to NPR up in New York. Public broadcasting ceased long ago, though, to reflect the views of the American public. Today, in fact, it serves coastal elites who disdain the public, he says. In most uh, its most recent controversy is but the latest reminder of its insufferable toadyism towards Acela Corridor views and why it should finally be weaned from the taxpayer dime. Yes, I know, NPR and PBS both claim that the percentage of their budget that's borne by the taxpayer that come via grants from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and federal agencies and departments. They're like, oh, it's only in the single digits. You'll hear this whenever they actually outright address the issue. Which, by the way, uh, I would pro- I-, I could name every single commercial radio station as ones that would love to have an extra single-digit percentage points on their budget every year. <laughs> right? Just guarantee, here it comes. You get a, you get a 1% budget bump you realize what we could do with the anyway but this is misleading because it fails to account for the local radio affiliates that get gobs of taxpayer money as well but let's take them at their word okay in that case if it's just a single digit then it should not be so hard if we tell public broadcasting you're gonna have to rely on the membership model and your sponsors which by the way people are doing all the time what do you think content creators do I did this for the last almost two years. You have a membership model. You have advertisers or sponsors, right? There are different revenue streams here. Asking conservative Americans to contribute to public broadcasting coffers is a form of despotism, he says. Could you imagine if you are on the left? Thank you for listening to this show. I do appreciate it. But if you and I I harbor no ill will towards uh, uh, people, you know, who are sort of left of center on a lot of things. If you, you know, if you're a leftist, um, no, I don't want you to succeed at virtually anything. So, uh, politically speaking, in your in your personal life, you know, I wish you all the best, nothing but the best. Um, but I, I find leftism to be virtually incompatible with uh, our constitutional framework. But I digress. The point here is that could you imagine, lefty friend of mine, listener, lefty right now. Um, Could you imagine if I got to take a chunk of money out of your paycheck and siphon it out and give it to me? You think you might have a problem with that? The public broadcasters also religiously use in their newscasts, not opinion items, but news, and I've heard this too. They use terms like the big lie. They they call January 6th an insurgency as if these were unquestioned facts and not mere phrases used only by those on the left of the American spectrum. They pretend that when conservatives raise questions about, let's say, oh, random topic, election integrity, that this constitutes not just a lie, but the big lie. 
But when the left does the same thing as President Biden just did at that news conference, preemptively saying that basically it's not going to be legitimate unless we get to nationalize all of the election rules. Then what do we get? We get the we get the NPR folks nodding along in silence. This is sage agreement that they are expressing. He says, quote, they assume that the riot on the Capitol constituted an insurgency, but not the many months of riots and protests that Black Lives Matter organized across the country throughout 2020. Yeah, that, that's different. I literally had during the uh, 2020 uh, riots, I, I think it was shortly afterwards, I literally had uh, a guy, I forget his name, um, but he is uh, he's an NPR affiliate guy. I think he's out of Chapel Hill, I want to say, because, of course, Chapel Hill, the People's Republic of Chapel Hill. But whatever, he's he he's arguing with me, trying to, like, walk me through a woke struggle session, like trying to get me to acknowledge these things. Like, I felt like I was sitting in uh, a white fragility corporate struggle session being run by this NPR reporter. <laughs> this local affiliate guy like first off dude you are not qualified you're not qualified to run this struggle session he actually i think came out of charlotte i think he went to of course a private school in charlotte um not that i have anything against private schools but like if you're going to talk to me about white privilege yeah like i said i don't think you are the best person to be running this session I'm drawing a blank on his name. I'm I'm sorry. I should I, I should identify the guy. I'm not trying to like protect him or anything. I'm just I, I'm drawing a blank. It's been a year, um, but this is this is the mentality that is pervasive in in the NPR. And look, I I've, I've listened to NPR for years. I was a listener, and I can tell you, like when wokeism, like every now and again, I'll drive around on the weekend and I'll catch a bit of it. And it's like in every single topic is through this lens. By the way, I see and and watch some television news stations too. Every single story is through this lens. I mean, every single one, like I literally sat there one weekend watching a half hour newscast and just waiting for a single story to be told that did not have that filter applied. And it went until the sports. That's when. (laughs) Right. It was until the sports cast. NPR and PBS routinely air views that are stomach churning to at least half of America propounding the idea that NPR is systemically uh, racist, that whites enjoy privilege no matter, or sorry, that America, uh, yeah, NPR and and PBS are propounding the idea that America is systemically racist, that whites enjoy privilege no matter what their station in life, and that slavery is at the very center of our national narrative, constituting our sole origin story. This is one of the things that drives me nuts. And maybe, I don't know, is it, maybe I'm a contrarian. Well, not maybe about it. I am a bit of a contrarian. I recognize this about myself. I will say, though, I really, really bristle when people try to force me to make a choice between two options when I know there are more than two options. It's a false dichotomy. Right? There's a false choice setup. And it is employed so many times in political debate it is so annoying to me like will you either do this or you know you're a fill in the blank and 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 i can believe that there are multiple origin stories for america i can believe that you know why because there were a lot of different people and that had a lot of different impacts and influence on the trajectory of this country still do 
That's the beauty of it. See, like when you step back and look at it, this is why I'm a free market capitalist as well, because I believe in the the wisdom of the masses, the wisdom of the crowd, so to speak, not the mob, but the crowd. And that's what capitalism does. It harnesses everybody's individual choices at any given moment. And it sort of factors in as best you can all of these different, uh, well, all the different metrics. Like, for example, I don't believe that there is such a thing as price gouging. I don't. I'm sorry. I know. I understand your arguments. I understand the attorney general gets the free publicity. You know, call in the line when people are selling generators for too much money. Right. But the generator becomes a more valuable commodity because of the situation where it's being sold. And so you can ration by supply or by price. And so if you ration that, those are your options. Those are your options. And so I prefer the wisdom of the masses, everybody making individual decisions at any given moment, right? Uh, and that's a better way to send signals to the marketplace and to uh, producers and, uh, and to companies and services. That's the better way to do it, rather than some people making decisions for everybody else. The use of our tax dollars to change our country through the use of these critical race theory garbage philosophies and woke gender ideology, like, you guys on the left would never let this tax money get funneled to the right, and you know it. So let's have some consistency. All right, off the soapbox. Brett Winterbull coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.